0: Hi, my name is Ozzy Jurok and I'm the publisher of the very quirky and quaint OzBuzz who prides itself on meeting people that have extraordinary achievement uh, in their field. And today it gives me enormous pleasure to welcome Janet LePage, who is the CEO of Western Wealth Capital, whose achievements are really very astounding. I mean, as transacting over one billion in real estate buying 50 apartment buildings, 10,000 units, and all that in maybe something under five years. Quite extraordinary. I'm excited to hear the secrets on how she did it. And so, first of all, welcome, Janet.
1: Thank you, Ozzy.
0: So, tell us, what are some of those secrets? I know that you are quite firm with some of the things that you care about. For instance, you have the three S's. What do they stand for?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, the three S's. I, I I you know I often this really came up on a Monday morning. You, you know, many times you wake up and there's a lot ahead of you, whether it's getting the kids ready for school and then you've got a week and travel and everything. And so what I say to myself and my mind, it's really your mind that plays that trick on you, like you can't do it, you can't get through it. And so my first thing is shut up. That's my first S. And that's not me, that's my You know, that conscience telling you you can't do it, I tell it, shut up. Second is, you got to suck it up. And and then the third is step up. And when I do it in that order, you know, I've shared that with people and they go, that's really harsh. Well, I believe that that conscience in you needs a harsh message back because it really can stop you from so many things. So mine is shut up, suck it up, and step up. And quite often by the end of the day or the end of the week, what seems so daunting, whether it was an hour task to a day task to a month task, you get it done. And you might just have to be a little firm with yourself along the way.
0: Yeah, I think that's amazing that uh, it's so true. It makes so much sense. We need that focus and we need to tell ourselves that we can do it because we can do so much more. I mean, you're the living example of it. But you also are juggling a lot of things in your life. I mean, you have kids and you have a home and a business and so you have the three-legged stool that you uh, look at.
1: You know one of the things a few years ago that I really struggled with my children when we started this company uh, were zero and one and so they were very close in age and a lot going on And, and so you were struggling and juggling every part and one of the things that got very clear is that for this to work all three legs of that stool have to balance. It, it doesn't work if one of the legs fall out. And it's a, it's a visual that I keep in my head because it's so clear, showing myself falling over. And with those legs, one of them is family, family being kids, being the marriage, being the health of how they're doing at school. It's, it's really that home place that you go to, that we're a unit and we're in harmony. The second is, is personal, uh, being health, well-being, relationship with yourself, your goals are being set, that you feel good and confident within your own being, um, everything from weight and physical activity to, um, to friends, to social relationships. And finally, work. Work plays a very large um, part in, in my personal desires, my drive. And so really balancing that as I've grown, I don't believe you balance that stool in a given day. It's not possible. Uh, I really put focus on balancing the family piece in a week, my children, how much I'm with them. But the entire stool, it's really in a monthly basis. Did I get time with friends that really matter to me? Did I get a date with my husband? Did I achieve the goals that I set out for work in that week, whether it's myself or watching my team achieve those things? And when it's off kilter, I'm off kilter. And so I've, I've heard a lot about different people who have Um, uh, different priorities, but it's important to feed each one of those. When you step away from one of those stools for too long, one of those legs, you will fall. And I mean, I've fallen countless times and that's why I'm so committed to it because I've seen the side when you lose a leg.
0: Well, I think this is really important. I I mean, I think I talked to you once and you, you went to work for three hours and you picked up your son and a friend, then you took him to a laser tag and then where your EA joined you with a glass of wine and a paper cup for each of you, and then you went through an entire week of actions and calendars and planning. And so you balanced uh, that day uh, while you were doing something for the family, while you were doing the planning for the work.
1: It's not graceful. You know, often people come to me and go, how, do you, how does it all come together? I go, oh, no, no, it's not graceful. But if you're aware of those pieces, it gets done. It's, it's not conventional. But gosh, my son and his friend had a wonderful play date. They got to play laser tag. They got to shoot some game. I felt controlled for my next hour. I was going to sit there and just watch them. They don't care about me. So it was a win, win-win for everyone. And that is very common in my, in my life.
0: That's why I find it interesting that you also restarted sort of uh, something for yourself, like field hockey.
1: Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so two years ago, I, I used to play in high school and. And hadn't in 16 years. And my husband's a very good soccer player. And, you know, the, my kids are all doing these sports. And I wasn't doing anything. It was really, you know, outside of work hours. You're, you're driving people and you're coming in. And I, I loved being part of a team. A team sport is very different than going to the gym by yourself.
0: Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And so I started. And let me tell you, I'm not good. And when I left high school, I was the captain of the team. Every play revolved around me as the lead. I show up and try out. Now, I made Div 5, okay? so it starts at Premier above Div 1. Yeah. Uh, there is a Div below me, but it, <laughs> nothing to brag about. And it was really, really hard and healthy to just be a team member that hopefully got some playing time. That was two yeah. years ago. I am very proud to say that I do have a starting position on the team <laughs> now. I'm, I'm not surprised. Three. I am not part of any major plays, <laughs> though. I am not a select member. But uh, I love getting out there. The dynamic is very good for my soul. It it is good for me. And it was amazing to have my children see uh, me go back into a sport and say, they, you know, our team's the Vipers. They think Mm. that's great. But it is good for your soul. And when your soul's good and when your heart's full, you're clear and you're driven, even though it's exhausting. Uh, The more I found that you you almost step out of the office and, and challenge yourself. Your brain opens up and is accepting of new ways or new ideas. So it's been good for the health. It's been good for my confidence or ego to be realized, well, you're not that good at that, but you're still going to play and be a good team member. Uh, it, and it's, it's good for your mind to go somewhere else.
0: I think I love this, it's good for the soul. And so often when, uh, particularly when you're more successful, and my God, 10,000 units, I mean, thousands of people working for you. In order to balance that, we sometimes forget ourselves. And I love that you go out there playing good or bad, but you're doing something that is good for your soul, that is so rare. But in order to be good for your soul, you have to be good for the body too. So tell me the secrets of getting that fine-tuned engines working every morning. Hot lemon water in the morning?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I don't have, you know, I have a sister who literally wakes up every morning and hits the gym and then yoga at the end of the day. She just loves to exercise. I don't. That's why I had placed team sports because it forces the exercise (laughs) as well as another thing. But um, I did pick up the habit of drinking hot lemon water in the morning, two big glasses. And, you know, they say how, however many glasses you need to have, at least my first two glasses are out of the way before, I mean, before I brush my teeth, before anything else. And it's funny, it's become, you know, they say it takes 21 days to have a habit. I I don't believe that's true. I believe it's a whole lot longer than that, to be completely honest. At 21 days, you can fall off the horse really fast. Mm -hmm. But it's something that unless I'm in a hotel room, I will find that lemon and have the water. Um, I take my vitamins. There is a lot of them. Uh, I don't actually know what they all do, but I trust somebody that gave them to me. So I I believe that for the amount of stress and busyness, you can't get all of that from food. I do take a B vitamin shot mm-hmm. myself at least three times a week. I started doing that when the kids were one and two, and my sister's a naturopath, and stress alone will burn through your B vitamins oh, at yes. a speed that you, you, can't, you can't eat it, you can't ingest it. Um, so literally in my, um, my uh, basically our laundry room, I take the needle there while the kids are eating breakfast, and it goes right in, and boy, the energy it gives you. And finally, I I make sure that I finish my water. If I'm drinking wine, that means more water, but but it's amazing how much energy I get if I just stay hydrated. It's not a lot of things, but it's just enough to check the boxes and make sure that when you run at a pace that I do run at, and it's never slow, at least you're fulfilling the body because it needs to keep going with you.
0: Well, I don't know how you do it. You look great. You run a big company. You drink lemon water. I'm going to change my habit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and I will happily give you your B vitamin shot, Ozzy. Oh yes. Well,
0: I'm, I'm taking my B50 complex already. So I'm 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 with you all the way. But you have some help. You have a nanny.
1: I do have a nanny. Um, I have actually a a, a lot of help. Uh, it's funny. I have um, I have people say to me, so so, you know, you, you must have a lot of help with your children, or you must not see them a lot, and actually that's not true at all. What happened a few years ago, and, and a lot of this has to do when, when you fail, you figure out a new way, and it is really important to me that I drop off or pick up my children from school every day. There's probably one day a week where neither happened, but the rest happen. I must be in their school at least for a half a day, one day, a month. I drive every um, field trip. So to do all of these things and be present when I'm not at work, I outsource or have help for all of the things that I believe are not value either towards work or towards my family. So at 7 in the morning, our nanny arrives. Um, I get up early. I either work out or I work. But at 7, our children wake up. At that time, I'm completely present. Somebody else is making breakfast. Somebody else is packing lunches. But I eat with them. Or I can sit on the couch and read a book with them because I, I can't do both on Fridays. I don't have that help. I finally show up at school and I am literally panting. My hair is frazzled. I've yelled at <laughs> the mo- And I look at some of the moms and I go, you do this every day. I can't believe it. But what I found is my children don't care who made their lunch. They don't care who made them breakfast. But they care whether or not their mom sat with them. Absolutely. They care whether or not... I was present, and I am not stressed for that hour and a bit from 7 until we go to school. Mm-hmm. Uh, other things that I don't do. I don't make dinner on the work weeknights. Um, that's made for the family before I get home. So when I walk through the door, uh, we sit down as a family, and we eat, and we talk, and then we do homework together, and we go to the park, or we do something. But I'm not running around cooking, then cleaning, then stopping the grocery store and trying to figure it out, none of that my children will remember, none of that my husband will remember, and none of that, oh, I will remember it, and I will find stress in it. Mm -hmm. And so little parts of of my life that really, um, there's just too many, you can't do it all. Um, I've given up to be able to do that. I can't tell you how many of my friends have taken promotions at work or returned to work after children, so their income has gone up, therefore the responsibility has gone up, but they haven't chosen mm-hmm. to take some of that money and reduce the responsibility. It is mm. not logical that you take a promotion at work, yet still handle everything else that you are doing. That doesn't yes. work. Yes. And I've, I have coached countless of my friends saying, this, you just made more money. You have to give some of it away for you to be successful. And it's a real counterintuitive thing, but so critical to reaching your higher self success. Give away the stuff that really doesn't value or matter in the home, to yourself, to your work.
0: It's so true. I mean, everybody says it. Delegate what you, uh, what is minor. You know, don't sweat the small stuff. You know, you're doing it. I mean, that that is rare that people are actually be able to, to not just say it to. Make sure that every single day you have somebody to do all the menial things that are not important, but the kids see you in the area that you want to be important to them and remembered. So true. Um,
1: and, and I think you have to define what's important in your house and what's important in that. And it took a lot of, you know, there's this persona out there of what a mom should be. And I thought, no, I should make their lunch. I should <laughs> do this. I should cook. No, you shouldn't, should, should, should. Whatever your family defines, what I learned as I went with the children is being with them, phone gone, talking with them, sitting still, not being distracted, that's what mattered to them. So having to remove everything that caused those distractions was imperative to what I saw was meaningful to them.
0: No question. Excuse me. Well... Okay, so you, you, you're very organized. You have delegated your stuff. Now, what is it that you fear?
1: <laughs> oh, what is it that I fear? That's a good question. You know, fear, fear is, is tough when you feel it. Fear is what I've come to learn as one of my greatest gifts or greatest gifts that are being given to me. Because if I can overcome that fear, I've risen in my level of ability, or my level of skill set, or my level of perception on the other side. Much of fear goes back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, which is that brain that says you can't do it. I mean, you're, you're, as an example, you're climbing the grouse grind, and you just, your legs are saying, oh, I physically can't do that. Uh-huh. Your legs aren't saying it, it's, your, it's this brain of yours, and it's the same mechanism that is the fear and every time I have risen to a new level of functioning within the company, within myself and understanding, there has been a massive amount of fear to break through. And you know, you hear this thing called the glass ceiling. I don't think it's a glass ceiling, I think it's a fear ceiling. <laughs> and it is almost impossible to break through. Like you 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 have to you have to forget everything else. And I've cried, I, I felt physically nauseous. But on the other side of overcoming that fear, you can do it again. And when you can do that piece again, your, what you can do again, bucket grows. And your, your tools within that bucket grow. So I often encourage people to go, oh, I'm too scared or I, I just, I, I f- feel like I can't do it. I go, you gotta do it. Do part of it, do something. But once you've done it, once you've got this. Yeah.
0: I think that is, that is really the, the secret of achievement, because everybody is gonna be scared about something. The first time you make a public speech, you have to have some fear. You have to be apprehensive. You wanna do a good job. People look at you. And so if you said, oh, I'd rather not do it, I can't do that, you miss the enjoyment that comes when you actually have achieved it, and people applaud you. Or maybe not even applaud you, but they look at you with respect. Whatever it is, you did it because you overcome the fear. Now, you, must have had an enormous amount of fear. I mean, you buy one building at 300 suites, you have to arrange the financing, you have to find investors. That is a normal thing for one person's lifetime achievement, buying one building of 300 suites. You buy 10,000. In five years, you're not even 40 yet, you know? So <laughs> talk, about, uh, talk about fear.
1: Very much so. Thank you.
0: Well, you also say that you, you obviously you manage your day and you manage your health, but you also make a really interesting statement. You know, you wrote that nice chapter in the book, Real Estate Action 2.0, where you point out the fear factor mm-hmm. and overcoming it. But you're saying was that manage your week, don't let your week manage you. That is being proactive, not reactive to the day, I, I presume.
1: You know, uh, over time, when I would look at weeks that felt good on a Friday versus weeks that didn't, uh, it was about who controlled that week, whether that week controlled me or whether I controlled that week. And I have to say I don't do it every week because sometimes it gets away, but I make a point that come Friday, I know everything that's happening the following week. I also know what's not happening the following week, and I plan for it. I can promise you one thing. There will be things that I don't know, but I block time literally at multiple times throughout my week for what I don't know will happen, yet I know I'm going to have to do something. And that could be everything from a deal came up and I'm on a plane to somewhere to take a look at it to my child got chicken pox, and guess what? They're both out of school and you're at a doctor's appointment to um, you know, we have a, a, a problem or a good friend and unexpectedly came into town that you didn't see in a year and you would really love a chance to have an hour with them. If you plan for the planned and allocate for the unplanned, when your week goes sideways, because I don't believe I've ever had a week that didn't go sideways, you're okay. But if you do not allow for the unplanned, your week will get away from you and all you're doing is chasing after what everybody else's expectations are. You know, more and more as I've grown within my role in the organization and in the organization of Western Wealth Capital has grown, I've spent very little of myself in a given week. My job is to be a month out, a quarter out, thinking about what we need to do next and allocating time to really thinking about it and planning for it. And if your week is owning you in these firefights of Jenna, I need you here and I need you to sign this, all of a sudden that month will show up or that quarter will show up. And I have nothing planned. I'm not ahead of it. And so making sure that my week delivers not only to the basics, but to the mountains. I actually have a task list that goes, mountains I need to move this week. And then I have to-dos and I have personal. Mm -hmm. And those mountains, and there's not many because you can't move too many mountains in a week. Uh, but they're there, and if I do nothing else today or if I do nothing else in that week, they have to happen, and everything else in my calendar can be canceled.
0: Well, I find that mind-boggling, but I think it's also driven by what I know personally about you. You really care about your customers, and it comes from, I believe, your father once told you, you have to go, this is your baby, and these investors trust you. And your job isn't to run around and do the minutiae. Your job is to find that spectacular transaction, then make it work and get the right interest rates and forecast the future literally, and do a thousand things to make a specific property work. What are some of those things that you do? You buy a building that's maybe uh, out of tender, loving care. And so what are some of the secrets that you do in order to reorganize that building?
1: Well, I mean, one of the things that has made us wildly successful at Western Capital, and I know something that you and I, Ozzy, have talked about a number of times, is that when you have a formula for success, don't change it. Yes. You know, um, I made a conscious decision with our organization that I would use one sandbox and one formula, and anything outside of that is a shiny object that we do not do. In real estate, or really in many, many different industries, you can make money a lot of ways. But when I studied people that had made high success, they did what they did, and they did it well. And that's something that you have often preached, is do what you know, repeat, do it well. And you can do it at a speed. You can repeat, and you can do it faster and faster. And while you're doing that, you're removing risk. You're removing risk because you're not adding an unknown that you haven't dealt with already. And so with Western Capital, what I learned is that if we buy a property that needs to move a wall, we don't buy it. We strictly do interior upgrades, uh, install washers and dryers, paint the property, upgrade um, you know, the office, change the signage. We have a 27-point checklist that happens the day we buy that property. And if we cannot apply our exact formula to that property, we don't buy it. I can't tell you how many brokers across... Uh, The U.S. nation will call me and say, hey, Jen, I have a deal for you, and I'll listen, and I'll ask three questions, and I go, you know, it actually sounds like a great deal, but it's not for me. And it is my fiduciary duty to both our company, to our investors, that we don't deviate, because this is what we know, this is how we reduce risk, and this is how we create wealth for our investors, and that is why we are here, and that is why we've remained successful in that.
0: Well, first of all, your system of uh, the washing machine dryers it's, it's sort of simple to think about it, but nobody's really put it to the uh, wonderful height that you put it. <laughs> but it, it's logical. If I'm a lady and I have two children and, uh, and uh, somebody comes to me and will you pay $50 more per month in rent? If I put a wash machine dryer in your unit, I'll wrestle my husband to the ground for the privilege of having it. And so, but by adding that $50 a month, you increase the income of the building, and then the income, so the gross rent multiplier, increases the value of the building. And then you have another very interesting secret. Uh, I don't know whether you can share it, but once you have refinanced it, you actually give some of that money back to the investors. We
1: do give the money back to the investors. And what's cool about that is that they still own their share in the property. And, you know, if you think about wealth creation is taking the money that you've invested, being able to take it back but still growing wealth in your original investment, and then investing it again. We have investors that have actually taken their original investment with us and reinvested it four times, yet they still own their investment in the first, second, and third property. That is wealth creation in the making, and it's very rewarding to be able to share with our investors and actually watch that money move along from building to building and investment to investment.
0: Yeah, and, and, and when you listen to it first, it sounds almost impossible to achieve, but you literally do pay 30% back, often within 18 months and another 30% in the, the next year and another, the idea being somewhere in the third or the fourth year, you're almost even, have all your money back, still have a full share, still participate in cash flow. It's, it's gotta be a, um, a once once in a lifetime system.
1: Once in a lifetime <laughs> system that I hope we can continue uh, for a period to come. But we are very disciplined, which has allowed us, uh, which has allowed us to have that success.
0: Well, I, I enjoy your your weekly uh, worksheet. I don't know whether that's the right word, but you're getting a sheet from every single building. And somebody in your company actually looks at those twenty seven things that ought to be done, and you tell every manager how they're doing and If they don't do as well as say them the majority or a certain uh, standard set that has been set, then they know their feet are going to be held to the fire or worse, they might have no feet or no ground to be in the building anymore. isn't that something like what you do? You have a system well, one
1: of the things you know um, that we that we do that has that never been happened that I'm aware of ever in real estate. So we have, an, I think, five or six different management companies. So these are completely different companies that are also competitors. Imagine in the same market, uh, they're direct competitors, but they work within our Western Wealth Capital properties. So we rank them. We don't care if you're being managed by property management company A or property management company B. These are our properties that we are taking care of for our investors. And so one of the beliefs we have is that everybody on our properties, really, they're not lazy, and nobody likes to see their name last. I don't care what it is. I don't like to be the last person on the field hockey field, never mind the last person in my job, never mind the last. It's just not a <laughs> good feeling. So what we do is each week it is sent to everybody, and it is ranked how the properties are. And, and that doesn't matter if you're property management company A or B. You're on the same sheet. And it drives a very healthy internal competition. It also has driven people to pick up the phone and go like, how are you getting that much traffic? How many, how are you getting that many leases to your property? We're only four blocks away. What are you doing? Because they don't want to see their name at the bottom next week. And boy, has it upped the game across the portfolio. Now, if you're consistently at the bottom too, it really helps for an easier conversation that maybe this isn't a right fit. or, you know, I mean, that the stats are showing that no. everywhere around this isn't a problem. Yeah. Um, so it makes for a lot easier conversation around there is, there is something wrong. There's no more excuses here. There's a problem with this building because no other facts are showing up anywhere else. So it removes the minutia of the he said, she said. It is a fact-based business. And it was not easy to get the management companies to be okay with it. But at the end of the day... Um, it's not about the management companies, it's no. about us and our investors, and we have to do what's right for them, and I believe what we're doing is right for them.
0: There's no question about it. People hold themselves accountable, and if they don't, maybe the fit isn't theirs, not, not in what you do. But be, before anybody should think that you're a very, very hard-nosed manager, what I, what I like is the things that you do have in mind, first of all, the investors return, but most importantly, the tenants that are in those buildings. I mean, on the first day, those 27 things get done. They're not promised and, yeah, we're going to upgrade the pool or we're going to put in a barbecue or whatever it is that you do on the on small. They're all done on the first day. And then once people realize, hey, this company really means what they say, there's new signage out there, there's the grass is cut or whatever. Sometimes you go into an older building, almost everything that's basic seems to be forgotten. With you, there's really nothing forgotten. It has to be done
1: has to be done you know we have um, this summer one of our flagship giving back programs is called we've got your back and it started a few years ago when I was touring a property to buy and they had a donation bin and and it was um, residents um, and tenants were able to give back you know donate for for children need in the local school district and I said you know on many of our properties um, I'm not sure I would see a lot of donations but there's a lot of people that could use the donations So we started a program called We've Got Your Back, which provides um, a backpack filled with all of the school supplies for the local school district of that property to give them everything they need so that on the first day of school they start um, the day off on the right foot. And so each year I come down for that day and it's the same day across every property, across every state and city we're in, and a backpack is made available for every child. So I was in Phoenix this year at a a property called Marble Creek, giving them away, and two police officers arrived, as well as a city councillor. The mayor had wanted to um, come, but she had a conflict. And I I wasn't even aware or even thinking about the impact we have beyond the residents. But what they said is that when they see our signage go up, our yellow and black signs, they know that the crime on that property is going to go down the safety is going to go up, and better families are going to be moving there. Right. And I literally had nothing to say. It took my breath away. I mean, we've been so focused on improving the resident's life, improving the lives of the people and the property management and the maintenance people that live on these properties so they can go home at night and say, I'm proud of what I do. I'm proud of where I work. I'm proud of where I live, but never did I know that we were actually impacting the entire greater community. And um, that's become a big part of our mandate. The more assets we own, the greater difference we're gonna make in the greater communities. And honestly, I didn't even know about that till this summer. So we are changing lives and and growing wealth at the same time, and and that is our, our mantra.
0: Well, when you look at people, sometimes they, they seem to, on the outside, be a menial job to cut the grass and water the lawn or do a thousand things. But you create an environment where people are proud in what they do, and so they should be. And so when, they, when the residents are happier and you're, you're putting in a washing machine and dryer, I don't have to schlep my laundry to the end of the, the block. Or, but it's the other things you do. You you care to find something. I know at Christmas time you, you have the, the
1: the, rent-free Christmas. The
0: rent-free Christmas for one month for one family, and how do you how do you arrive at that family?
1: Oh uh, we're in the process right now. So basically, our second flagship uh, program is called uh, Rent-free Christmas, and so the property management staff, so that's your maintenance folks, that's the person that cuts the grass, unplugs the toilet, installs the washer and dryers. They interact with these residents every day. So on each and every one of our properties, they get together and they have exactly one minute to pick a family and the reason i give them a minute is because you know that family it's in your gut right a family that could use free rent for that one month so that they could take that money and make a christmas memory that otherwise they wouldn't be able to afford to do and just the the having the property management staff pick that for these people they see every day and see how they're life to live and they actually get to give it to the family. Right. You know how much further and above and beyond our staff goes and they feel connected to Western Wealth Capital, they feel connected to our investors, all of our investment partners, and they feel connected to the residents to be able to give that. So what happens is um they pick the family and then out of all of those families, so I think we have about 40 buildings, 35 to 40 buildings under management. So 35 to 40 families will have free rent. They'll also get a gift certificate for um, their Christmas meal from the grocery store. And we arrive with a Christmas tree. You know, so it's, yeah. it's got Christmas. But a, fa- a family per management company, so that'll be about six or seven families this year, also receive Christmas. And yes. so we get the list from this one family that selected um, of all of their wishes for Christmas presents. And we present it to the parents at the beginning of December so that they know what they're receiving, and we wrap those gifts, and on Christmas Eve, when those kids are asleep, we deliver them.
0: Isn't that wonderful?
1: And, uh, and they have their Christmas they've, they've never had beyond. And so the rule that I've set in Western Wealth Capital is that each year we have to do something more. Um, and so each year we've, we've augmented what we've been able to give from the year before. And it's really part of the culture with Western Males is we always do better. We always do more. We always strive for the next level. And it's even in our, our giving.
0: It's interesting. They say that markets become the stories people tell about them. Well, buildings become the stories people tell about them. I mean, if I'm in one of those buildings and I say, you know what, you know, this company that runs this building, Everything looks well looked after. Uh, they give our kids, uh, you know, the, the school supplies. Uh, one, one, one of us gets a free rent. They really seem to care about us. And then you tell that story to some other friends and you have a vacancy and you say, well, that'd be nice to live in that building, right? And so you create that by instilling in your staff and everybody that's around there, we care. Tell us if there's something that we need to do or need to fix, tell us, you know, let us know. I think that's wonderful. I think you are now in Phoenix where you started. That's where your big base is. You're also in Tempe and, and Scottsdale. But you branched out to San Antonio first and then to Houston. And now the new one is gonna be Atlanta. Dallas as how well. Do you, and, how, and Dallas. And how do, you, how do you select those cities? What are the criteria?
1: It's the exact same criteria. It goes back to our discipline sandbox. So- Our belief is that, and actually it's a saying that that Ozzy has, people go where jobs grow. If there is a job, someone needs to fill it. If they need to fill it, they need a bed to sleep in. If they need a bed to sleep in, they need something, a roof over their heads. So if you have more jobs coming into a place than beds for people to sleep in, you have a housing supply issue. And so we focus on cities that have job growth. And on top of that, we layer in cities that have job growth in what I call the service sector. Working class, service job, um, medical, um, telecommunications, call center. These are working class folks where it's either your first time home, you're a lifetime renter, or a long time renter before you go and buy your first home. I really like this sector because the housing that exists in the multifamily or apartment section for this can't be rebuilt. If, if they're building new apartment buildings, the people that we focus on can't afford it. It's double the class rent, class. it's triple the rent, they can't afford it. So there is these sets of apartment buildings that really serve that working class family, that pride, pride of rentership is what I call it. They, they will own one day or they will rent for a very long time but they have pride, they're gainfully employed, Um, but we can't replicate the building they live in. So when you look at the cities that we invest into and you look at their job growth, I mean, they're all in the top 10 growing cities uh, in the US US nation. They're all predicted to double or triple their population in the next 20 years. Um, In all of it, a big sector in Phoenix, for example, 40% of all of those in migration of people moving there are looking mainly rent in this type of product so I have high confidence that I will continuously yes. have full properties and if I have full properties then our rent will increase over time and we will be able to install more washers and dryers and we will grow wealth for our investors.
0: And the thing is too that you're safe no matter what happens to the world and the economy and Donald Trump or Dustin Trudeau or the world at large your, your buildings are safe they're well managed they show uh, income that is uh, rewarding to the investors, and even if there were no capital gain, but of course you've had some spectacular capital <laughs> gain to boot. Never mind, just the cash flow <laughs> that some buildings were in the six to eight percent range. In addition to that, ones, some of the smaller buildings that you sold had how much of a capital gain to boot?
1: Oh my gosh, we average right now to our investors 32 uh, percent annualized return. Um, we've had as high as 70 percent per year.
0: Well, fabulous, amazing. Now, um, it is—it is, it isn't enough that you go and buy 10,000 condos and a billion dollars worth of real estate, and, and what about 3,000 people are working for you or more? What is it? A hundred per per? You no,
1: know, it's about. We have about 300 people um, across the <coughs> properties right now.
0: So not only that, and a billion dollars real estate, and under 40 and enormously good-looking, and a mother. Uh, And then on top of that, you have, of course, been recognized by not just somebody locally, but by the world. Because this business in Vancouver named you uh, as a winner for the 40 Under 40. Uh, And then, of course, you have uh, been winning the very coveted Canadian Businesswoman of the Year from Werf Clicquot, which is one of the premier champagne companies. Tell me a little bit about that award.
1: You know, that's funny, that was actually um, the first big award I won, and, and coincidentally, it was exactly two years today. I was oh, in Toronto, okay. uh, and I didn't know I was there to win. I was a finalist that, that, um, that went for Vue Clicot, and it was a, it was a massive honour for... Um, it was a Canadian-wide entrepreneur award, and they took us to Europe um, the following summer, and I had a chance to spend four days with um, women from many many countries, South Africa, Serbia, uh, gosh you name the countries and uh, we went out to Madame Pico's, uh private vineyard in, in, in the country and they've been doing this for about 30 years and so each country has their own select um, rows of vineyards, so you see a Canadian flag i believe it started in 78 something like that for canadian women and so as you walk down each vine has huh. a name of another woman on it with the date so
0: you have your own
1: and i have my own vine <laughs> my own vinco <laughs> vine with my name on it and it's a private it's a private place that what they call only family can go so it's either their staff um apparently stars can go but i can call it any time and i'll be able to bring my children there one day and walk down that vineyard But as you walk, it takes your breath away of all these women that have had success and you have a chance to just, you know, secure it on something that's, that's very special with a very powerful woman that started something.
0: Canadian Business Woman before. of the Year, right? Yeah. And then, of course, 40 under 40, And but it's not enough for you. You had to also win the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year for Real Estate and Construction in the Pacific region as well in the same year.
1: <laughs> I was... Um, yeah, it was, it was humbling. Um, one of the greatest things that I think the awards gave was that, to be honest, um, when I started this company, um, I knew I loved real estate and I had been, you know, I had flipped 58 homes in just two years and I had bought my third apartment building. But I mean, I was climbing very aggressively up the corporate ladder and I had just had two children and it was, to be honest, it was too much. But what woke me up in the morning, what got me out of bed in the morning was real estate. Really did, getting that deal, finding that deal. And my daughter was just turned one, and I didn't want my husband to know. I I needed to make the decision, and I was (laughs) terrified to cut the corporate handcuff. I mean, I had an amazing job, a pension, benefits, everything. And I was going to go out and somehow make a living in this real estate thing. I had some confidence, but nothing compared to what my salary was. And I actually sat on the floor while my daughter slept next to her crib and I, I cried because I didn't want him to see me crying
0: <laughs> because husband, I didn't want him nervous yeah. that
1: I was nervous. I had yeah. put on this confident front that it was going to be just fine. I had just hoped to replace my income and do something I love. Oh. Never did I, I come to do this yeah. to grow it to what, to what it is. Never did I come out.
0: But mind you, I think it was visible a little bit because you would buy a house, say, in Phoenix and resell it for a very reasonable profit, like six or 7000 And then you would do the books for the people as well for a couple of years. I remember telling you, you're not going to get you rich. That's what
1: you too. said. You go, Janet, you don't charge enough. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have very
0: But I think nice. that sort of permeates through your life. You want to do well for your clients. You want yes. to build trust. And in order to have trust, you have to trust utterly. And when they look at your totality, you know then it's easy for me to trust you to give my money uh, into your buildings uh, because I know the money is in good hands by the way the job you had previously gave you a good foundation to what you do now because it was a numbers kind job right what exactly was it
1: Uh, It was the director of business development at Legcor was my last role so I negotiated the telecommunications contracts with um, all the North American um, telecoms. So it, was, it was a great foundation. I often tell kids that are you know, coming out of school, should I go out on my own? And I say some of the best things I ever got was working in a large company and getting sure. solid foundational tools. Uh, I wouldn't change any of that time for anything.
0: So you bring all that and make it, uh, make it to good work in your new role. Now, in addition to all we said already, 10,000 units, a billion dollars for the real estate and woman of the year and under 40, 40, and entrepreneur of the year, you also were on the shark tank, the ULI shark tank for real estate. (laughs) (laughs) And now you're a judge at the 2018 Wolf Clicquot Awards as well as being on the shark tank again. Yes,
1: that's true. Thank you.
0: So having done all that, so what is sort of, what what advice would you uh, would you give everybody? Uh, what big advice would you would you tell them? Um, so to uh, leave, leave our listeners with, uh, after they're panting <laughs> with the enormous achievements that, that you have, how do you tell them to get on the road?
1: Set big goals. Set a goal that is bigger than the biggest goal you think you can set. And why I say that is, it's okay if you never hit the top of that goal. I I, I had had a great mentor saying, set a goal to the top of that mountain, Janet. If you go halfway and you achieve that, you may never have achieved greatness. But while you're climbing that mountain to the top of that one, you might all of a sudden turn to the left and see a lake you never knew existed. And that lake may open your eyes to something else and suddenly there's another mountain range. But had you not set your goals to something you may or may not have ever achieved, you will never know how far you can truly climb. There is, you know, uh, a year ago, a year and a half ago, actually let's go back two years today when I had the VUV award. I was at 350 million in transactions. Today I'm at one point, just over 1.1 billion. And I had said, and I had to say something to my team, and I said, guys, we're gonna to get to a billion and 10,000 units. <laughs> the truth is, I had no idea. I mean, I had to say something. <laughs> of course, I looked very confident to them, but on the inside, I'm going, okay. But that became a mantra in our organization. A yeah. Billion dollars, 10,000 units, five cities. Billion dollars, 10,000 units, five th- cities. This month, we will hit our 10,000th unit and our fifth city on the same building. I am telling you, 18 months ago when I made that statement, I didn't know. 350 million, three times growth in 18 months.
0: So it starts with that big goal, much bigger goal. It starts
1: with a bigger goal than you ever imagined. And I promise you, you may not get there, but you will get somewhere so much further than you ever dreamed. And where it ends up, that's okay. But don't play small. Playing small does not fulfill your soul. It never has. I've never met someone that says, I played really small and safe and I feel great. They no. don't feel great.
0: The big dream is the thing to be, well, Janet LePage, uh, you're an extraordinary lady and I thank you so much for taking the time to share your story. And I know that story is so much more to it. But um, as you know, I personally believe firmly that we always grow into our own future best. And you more than anybody has demonstrated it when you started out in your company that you were with before, or whether you bought your first house and your first apartment building, and then, as you pointed out, that billion dollars and 10,000 units, you are always going into your future best self. And I know, being under 40, you have nowhere near arrived yet, so I look forward to seeing all the wonderful things that are gonna happen to you in the future. Thank you so much, and I wanna tell to my listeners, live life large.